Hello and welcome to this week's Liverpool.com podcast. It's Dan Morgan, James Martin and Joel Rabinovitz, where we are going to celebrate 10 years of Jordan Henderson, Liverpool's captain since 2014. He took the armband from Steven Gerrard and has since won uh, at the Premier League, the UEFA Champions League, uh, the FIFA Super Cup, FIFA Club World Cup, sorry, UEFA Super Cup, um, and hopefully many more to come. Um, and yeah, to discuss Jordan Henderson, we want to sort of give the, the whole show to him over the course of the next however long we're here. Um, we're going to discuss his journey. We're going to discuss uh, the bumps in the road, of which he's had many, and we're going to discuss what's still to come. As he enters the age of 31 as Liverpool captain, we hope a lot more. We hope a lot more success. Um, but for now, um, I'm going to start with the... The journey and the journey at its very beginning, and I have to caveat this by saying I'm on a call with a 23 and 24 year old um, who have uh, a lot more years on me, and so I might be the one carrying this particular element of the show a little bit. But Joel, give me your your thoughts as early as you can, as vivid as you can, from when Henderson signed, and 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 you know, with with I suppose with a degree of hindsight attached now, what what you think perceptions were around him uh, around the time he came into the club yeah I mean this will make you feel even older but I was back at school uh, when we <laughs> signed him and this was in the days when I don't I mean Twitter probably had started but I wasn't on Twitter transfers weren't the all sort of 24-7 coverage that you get now where you can see rumours left right and centre so it wasn't something that you were sort of tracking in the way but we sort of tend to know who clubs are following at the moment um, obviously Liverpool tend to keep most of their stuff kind of under wraps but you tend to have a pretty good idea of what kind of players most clubs are looking for and back then that wasn't really the case so much so from my perspective it was one that it came out of the blue a little bit um, I think he'd had two seasons in the Premier League at Sunderland he his reputation was good at the time, but it wasn't like kind of a current crop of English players like Mount Foden, um, players like that coming through who really are kind of dubbed as the next superstars. He was kind of a player who was, who was promising, but nobody knew quite how good he would be. I think yeah. I was having a look at his numbers earlier in the season before he played almost every game. I think it was 37 appearances for Sunderland. Um, yeah, and he got something like three goals and four assists playing kind of mostly right-hand side of midfield and a bit in the centre as well. Um, so nothing there that sort of screams out um, like as an incredible uh, record at that point. But yeah, I think sort of in hindsight, what, what was interesting about that summer is he comes as part of that package of players who most of them were kind of abject failures, really. Charlie Adam, Stuart Downing and Henderson sort of becomes sort of associated with that crop of signings. And it takes quite a while, I think, obviously... As I'm sure we'll come on to discuss, it takes him a while to really kind of find himself at Liverpool. But I think a lot of the perception of him in the early years was tied to the kind of the players he joined alongside and how they kind of ended up faring at the club. And I think it, it took a while for him to become separated from that and to realise that he wasn't just one of this big amalgamation of poor signings that summer. Um, but yeah, as, as we'll come on to say, it took a while to really see that version of Henderson. I remember there being quite a wince collectively over the fee. James, I remember 20 million um, being seen as excessive. And I think it was to do with, Joel, Joel touches on his, his sort of early style, if you like, and, and the early perception of him as a player. 
he he wasn't seen in the mount mode as we see these days. He wasn't seen as sort of the, the hyper-creative midfielder. He was seen as very sort of workman-like, but in a in a positive sense. And I think I think from a very early stage you could see his leadership qualities. And I think therefore I think Liverpool fans were, were happy with signing him, but I think there was a there was an uncertainty about what type of player A he was and B he would become. And I think the fear around that time was something which it sort of made you I think it gave us a little bit of a hint of where FSG in terms of transfers and investments wanted their priorities to be. Yeah, I mean I should probably preface this by saying that it was the age where I was just excited and hugely enthusiastic about any Liverpool signing, simpler times. So with that whole crop that Joel mentioned, I was convinced oh, they'd all go on yeah. to be Liverpool legends, you know. But um I made a big play for Downing. I made a <laughs> I made a really big play for Downing, which uh which I don't look back on fondly now. <laughs> uh but yeah, no, you're definitely right to to bring up the fee in that regard. It it did seem a lot, although I suppose you would you would also mention there was the January before when there was Carroll coming in for even bigger money, I suppose. So but but yeah, when, particularly when you're not necessarily looking at a Henderson and thinking, okay, this is the role he fulfills, this is what he brings to the team. It did seem like a big outlay, and yeah, I suppose it was a kind of an early indicator of of the FSG strategy that kind of picking up these players who, I mean, they're at you know he was at a Premier League club, he was well known, but he wasn't necessarily a superstar, and it was one where they've just had a look at it and thought, okay, this is. This is someone who there's there's underlying talent there which we can do something with in in well obviously there's no we didn't know how it was going to pan out at the time because it was under totally different management to to who he's sort of flourished under now but that idea of investing in the youth um, and hoping that they will develop at the club rather than necessarily going for the the pre-established massive names if you like I think so part of um, what was confusing a little bit i suppose about the signing at the time and what's interesting looking back now is that it is quite rare now i feel to see players who you would describe as wide midfielders as such they tend to either be sort of a midfield free player a center mid or a front free sort of wide forward and henderson was in that kind of strange he was a mostly a, a right-sided wide midfielder but you wouldn't describe him as a, a winger in the sense that we describe sort of wide forwards now so he was kind of like an in-between sort of player, also arriving at Liverpool at a time when didn't really know what the club was meant to be in terms of their aspirations, that we were going to challenge for top four trophies. It was a kind of strange transitional period. And he was one of those players who you felt could go either way, but you, you weren't kind of 100% confident at the time that he would eventually justify that fee, which I know, I think it was some reports say 16 million, some 20, but back then that was kind of really big money um, for a player of that age and kind of relatively little pedigree as well. Yeah, I think I think that's a really important point, the sort of mixed match he comes into. You know, he's bought with the likes of, you say, Charlie Adam down in Jose Enrique. There's, there's Andy Carroll and Luis Suarez just a few months before. It's it's really sort of a transition in Liverpool, but I remember him being the one where you, th- you thought... Okay, this is this is where the strategy is, and you know Damien Camoli is there at that time, and he, he you know he's since tried to take a lot of credit for Jordan Henderson signing in that sense. Um, but I, I think I think Joel, it's it's understandable then that you know when he comes into the team that 
you know, he takes a while to, to get going. He takes a while to find any kind of form and, and rhythm. And I think, you know, you, you sort of forget with these young players around that time, they're coming into such a, you know, such a mammoth football club, such a, such a huge concept. You know, in the documentary that's been released with his dad, there's the, there's the chat around, like he says he was in Melwood and, and, and Carragher and Gerrard are around. And, you know, the, the, the sheer sort of, um, the sheer sort of impact it would have had on him, just just changing from, with all due respect, Sunderland to a club like Liverpool and the, the subconscious responsibilities would come like that, which come with that, sorry. Um, for a player who we now know drives the very sort of best standards out of himself, you can see in the early days that it, it sort of waited on him, didn't it? Definitely, I think. It's a huge leap for him to take kind of that early in his career. And I think what made it even harder um, to kind of compare to now, whenever Liverpool buy a player now, however old they are, it's really obvious what the purpose is or where they're going to fit into the team in the system because that all that stuff is so well established. So we bought Canate as the first signing this summer in his early 20s. And you know he's obviously going to be playing centre-back, but we've got a very clearly defined set of kind of things that we expect from a Liverpool defender under Klopp in the system that we play it will be the same if they sign a front three player this summer as it was of Jota and the same if they buy a midfielder. We know how the system works. And and back then, like you said, it was all kind of, it, it all felt a bit mix and match. And I think that meant that Henderson, when he was coming in, didn't really know what he was meant to be. I don't think Douglas necessarily knew what Henderson's best role was going to be long term. And so he had to kind of carve his own path, I suppose, which which made it a lot more difficult. He wasn't just being slotted into a system that was working all re- really well. Liverpool did have some good players at the time, but it was all kind of, it felt very, um, very changeable, I think, um, mm. kind of from game to game. And I think that in terms of him sort of feeling a little bit lost, I suppose, a little bit struggling to find his niche, I suppose, in the team, I think that made it a lot harder for him in the sort of first 12 to 18 months. And it's only really, I think, when you get to kind of the second half of the 12-13 season and the Rodgers, when he really starts to kind of bed in, he starts playing centrally a lot more often and you see sort of Henderson grow into the shirt. But I think definitely that first, definitely the first season, but I'd also bring that into kind of the start of Rodgers as well. He's a young player who's not only, like you said, struggling with the, the increase in expectations that comes with playing for Liverpool, but also not entirely sure where he belongs in the whole thing. Yeah, I think, you know, as far as people trying to take credit for Henderson, which they have, I reference Camoli, James, there's there's been times when Brendan Rodgers has, has alluded to sort of his his part in Henderson's development and journey, and rightly so. But I, I think Kenny does, does deserve credit. He plays, plays quite a lot on the right. Um, and... You would ordinarily look at him now and say, well, you know, an orthodox sort of right midfielder, which he was under Daglish in those early days, it wouldn't suit the player he is. But I think I think what's what's present with Kenny is is the sense that he needs to get him games and the sense that he needs to get him on the pitch. And what's actually going to be detrimental to him is if he's not playing and he's in his own head. And Daglish finding a way to get him on the pitch, I think, was massive for him in those early days even to wear his struggles a little bit um, and even to go through, you know, the the sort of acid test that Anfield can be for a home player sometimes. And, you know, the things he's, the other things he's mentioned since, like, 
Luis Suarez giving him a hard time in training um, and stuff like that, which was very interesting when he when he opens up on it. But you know, you, you find he's going through all of this attrition, and there's a reason for it. And you know, ultimately, you start to see it sort of blossom later on. But I think that at least deserves credit for for how he handled Henderson. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, like you say, all of the struggles he was having, they would have been amplified 10 times if that was all going on without even getting the game time. Because he's yeah. that kind of player where if he's on the pitch, he's not going to hide on the pitch, even with all of these doubts going through his head. So, yeah, if, it's so important for his development that he gets those those early minutes under under Kenny, like you say. Um, has it shaped that much of what he's become today? Possibly stylistically not that much, because like you say, some of it was off the right and, you know, how that Liverpool team played compared to how it plays now is, you know, well to part. But, yeah, the very fact that he was on the pitch and just almost getting used to, like you say, the expectations, the the Anfield crowd, all of those things, they're, they're intangibles on their own, but they do add up to to shape the player that we see today, I think. And, and yeah, credit to Dalglish for that. Just come back to you, you know, we, we sort of move forward. He, he's, he's present and... He takes on a bit of a different identity in, in Rodgers' first season. He always he almost I remember sort of feeling like he'd become this kind of box to box midfielder who could who could just carry out a sort of third man run and get on the end of things which were which were really sort of energetic and, and marauding and, and he had he had bags of energy and, and I think that's where you sort of seen his his identity develop in that second season. But then at the end of that season, there is the possibility of him leaving Liverpool uh, in a deal, a swap deal for Clint Dempsey. Um, Brendan Rodgers would have allowed that to happen. He offered Henderson the chance for that to happen, and you know he's open about the fact of how much it upset him, how much he he made it clear he wanted to stay at Liverpool and, and fight for his place. And you know, I think that's often it's not overlooked, but I think the impact of it can be, you know, that that. To, to to face those, you know, those sort of self-fulfilling prophecies that you're telling yourself that you might not be good enough for Liverpool, that, you know, you might get moved on. That players do, you know, Jamie Carragher says for years that every time Liverpool bought a defender, he thought it was to replace him. That's what a footballer is. It's what he, it's what he becomes by his very nature, paranoid to keep his to keep his career in the best trajectory he can. I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, that for a young man who wanted his career to be the very best it could be at Liverpool Football Club. It was it was a lot to deal with and it was a, it showed a lot of adversity for him to A, want to stay and B, come back from it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's a reason why he's now the captain of this team that's, you know, been labelled by Klopp the mentality monsters, you know, that he sort of embodies that and we saw that from very early on. Like you say, it would have been such an easy option to do just to, to bin it off at that stage. The manager's not showing great deals of faith. He's, you know, saying... I'd rather have Clint Dempsey in there, um, which isn't exactly a vote of confidence. No, no disrespect to Dempsey. But um, but yeah, um, the fact that he was already in that kind of headspace, if you like, where he knows what he wants. He knows that he wants to build this kind of legacy and is determined to, to fight for that. Yeah, it, it says it all about the player and the man. Yeah, I mean, full disrespect to Dempsey on my part, Joel. Uh, <laughs> life would have been... Very different, and and the you know the 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 benefit of hindsight now means we can question this. But I mean, at the time, there's a lot of people championing that deal and wanting it to happen. 
And rightly because Liverpool needed another forward, they were, they were massively short on forward options. But, I mean, the reverberation for the club in the last decade, should that deal have gone through, it would have been huge. I remember thinking the timing of it was really strange because that second half of that 12-13 season under Rodgers was when Henderson really started to kind of come to the fore and there's a few games that really stick out in my mind that I really kind of first saw that there's, there's a player really worth keeping here that's going to kind of go on to do things and he scores that goal um, Aston Villa away I think it was yeah. around sort of I think it was January, February time uh, Coutinho plays a lovely through ball in behind and that's one of those kind of rampaging forward runs that you mentioned and it's a lovely kind of dinked finish I think it ends up being the winner in that match actually I think Liverpool win 2-1 that day and then there's the one I think it's either the penultimate game or the third last game of the season when they go to Newcastle and win 6-0 um, and Sturridge is unplayable but Henderson as well um, yeah, is, yeah. you really start to see the kind of nucleus of that team that goes on to do what they do in 13-14 with Henderson, Sturridge, Coutinho um, and Henderson, he, he scores twice that day. There's one when he's he's on the break with Sturridge and it's a tap-in that Sturridge lays across. And then he scores a free, quick, free kick, which sort of bends in at the far post. And I think he gets an assist as well for Sturridge in that game. And that's when you really start to see, I think, kind of Henderson feeling like he he belongs at Liverpool. Um, and that's why when you get to the end of that season, he's, he's probably still only, what, 23, maybe 24 at that point. Um and the idea that you would sell him, I don't know how old Dempsey was, but he was probably in his kind of late 20s at that point. Yeah, he was. It just felt really strange. And the message that that would have sent to Henderson, kind of given his progress that he'd made in the months beforehand, that, oh, that's still not enough and we don't see a role for you, I think would have been a really hard blow for him to sort of come back from. And yeah, it shows an awful lot of mental resolve. Um, to just refuse basically and say that he's he's put too much in to get to that point in his career and he's not going to give it up that easily. And as it goes on to show in 2013-14, in he becomes one of the key parts of that team which goes so close to winning the league. Um, and I'm not quite sure at which point Rodgers kind of realises his own error of judgment, but it's, it's pretty quickly into that 13-14 season that Henderson becomes pretty much irreplaceable, which obviously kind of towards the end of that season when he does miss out those few games, you really see the impact of him when he's taken out the team. Yeah, I think, Joel, bringing 13-14 into the equation, I think what's clear about him and what's being clear about him for the majority of his career is he gets better around better players. Yeah. And I think that you see he finds his identity more, the more competent Liverpool come, become under Rodgers and the more, the more sort of, I'd say, tactically... Um, rigid they become more tactically uh, advanced they become I think he's, he's very quickly someone you see who understands the game and when he's around people who A have ability and B have a, a similar understanding then I think that's where I think that's where in, in those snippets of 13-14 I think he started to see his leadership credentials come through because I think I think there's a part of him where he feels like okay you know, I'm at home, I can play in this team around good players, but also what are my strengths? Okay, I can you know, I can lead, I can keep us tactically solid, I can make sure that we're switched on, I can do all of these other things, which, yes, Steven Gerrard will do, but eventually and very soon, you know, he won't be here to do. So I think I think there's a part of him that sees that opportunity to just take a step up and he, and he massively takes it in 13-14. 
Yeah, he does. Before we came on this, I knew we were doing the Henderson podcast. I was watching back. Liverpool posted on their YouTube this morning a video of all his assists over his 10 years. Uh, I think there's 49 of them in the end, which is pretty impressive. Um, but what really stands out, especially sort of in those early sort of years, really, is that he has an unbelievable partnership with Suarez. And it's something that doesn't really get spoken about that much because you always hear Sturridge and Suarez. Um, everyone talks about the Gerard Torres partnership under Benitez and obviously the front three that we have now under Klopp. But the the Henderson-Suarez sort of connection, I've never really kind of got mentioned that much. But you, you see how many goals Henderson ends up setting up for Suarez back then mm. and then the movement that he makes and how those two kind of worked in tandem. Really impressive. And yeah, that's something which begins sort of in the, the 12-13 season and car- carries on into 13-14. And yeah, I remember the... Um, the Spurs away game actually is one that really stands out in that 13-14 season when I think Liverpool go there with a few players missing. I think Gerrard's not in the team that day. I think Liverpool's midfield is actually Henderson, Lucas and Allen, if I'm right. Um, and they win 5-0. Suarez is incredible. But Henderson sets up the opening goal. I think he kind of pinches the ball back on the edge of the box, pokes it to Suarez. He dummies a couple of defenders and slots it in. And then Henderson makes it 2-0 with a great sort of volley finish and Liverpool just run rampage thereafter. But in terms of what you're saying there, him stepping up as, as a leader in the team, I think without Gerrard that day, I think there was no Sturridge as well. That was one where you really saw him and Suarez together really kind of lead Liverpool in a way that you hadn't seen so much before. And that's something which kind of throughout the rest of 13-14 and, and definitely moving into the season thereafter, when he starts to actually captain Liverpool quite regularly um, because Gerrard sort of been and out of the team. Um, is something that really builds from there. Yeah, I, I think I think he's yet to fully open up, James, on the on the concept of taking over from Gerard. And and I think it's something that we'll probably hear from him later on in his career, maybe when he retires. But you know, that it's been referenced many times that, that responsibility of anyone at the time who was taking that armband was gonna be, you know, it, it was seen as being irreplaceable, it was seen as being impossible in terms of the legacy that they were following. I think as a captain, I think what's what's most important to reference is the fact that he's he's very much become his own captain and he's very much done things his own way. And, you know, I think it would have been very, very easy for him and anyone to try and replicate Gerrard. And Gerrard was, you know, a player of his generation. He remains the greatest Liverpool player I've ever seen. Um, but what I mean is, you know, that... Gerard was was very very um, very set through his ability of of leading by doing and leading by example of his football ability. Um, and Henderson could have tried to be his own version of that. Now, Ger- Henderson, for me, I think the manner in which he he takes on the concept of captaincy in in all manner of ways, not just on the pitch but off it. You know, in in those early days, especially. I think he deserves huge credit. And I think, you know, the the team he, he takes over as captain is is a very uncertain one. And it's a very, um, you know, it's one that's not long for this world, to be honest, when you look at that squad, the some of the players in there, some of the 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 state of um the state of transition it's in and the state and the need for it to, to gain some kind of stability and identity. I think it's yeah walks into a really difficult situation, and B I think very quickly decides he needs to put his own stamp on the captaincy. 
yeah um i think it's it's true that it was always going to be something of an impossible task to take over from gerard but the fact that he almost hasn't tried to to take over is is like you say the key point there he's he's made the role his own it's not like you know gerard's left and then the very next game henderson's steaming forward trying to score 30 yarders all the time just because he feels like he has to and that could have been really sort of damaging to the team to his own development but yeah instead he's he takes it all in his stride so so level-headed with it and yeah becomes less of that leader by example and more just by you know his his vocalness on the pitch his his example off the pitch as well to be fair he does lead by example in that regard with i mean his charity work we've seen recently everything like that just embodying the values of, of a club in in different ways to how to how gerard would have done it but well there's the it, thing isn't that around sorry there's the thing no, around no. where the uh a couple of the players have said he's taking on their media duties and stuff and even that it's little and it's minuscule but it it shows that he wants to he wants to protect his players he sees a responsibility he wants to be a leader yeah i mean everything he does is is for the benefit of the club on and off the pitch and that is the highest praise you can give him um so i mean even if you look at how his role has evolved now and this is also kind of harking back to to his um his earlier days at liverpool it's quite an interesting one because um now he's perfectly happy to fill in that midfield role where a lot of the time he'll almost be auxiliary right back as Trent bombs forward. Um, whereas some captains might say, you know what, I'm club captain. I'm not going to be sitting back covering for our attacking fullback. I want to be more involved in the attack, whatever. But but he's happy to fulfil that role. And he's also been prepared for that role by, you know, going all the way back to Kenny when he was that kind of right-sided figure. He has that, he has that experience to fall back on. And then equally in, in Rogers Diamond, with no actual wide players in that per se, he has that experience of having to cover the width while also being notionally that that central midfielder. So yeah, that kind of willingness to just play wherever the manager wants him is is yeah, it's a captain's quality in its own right. I think we need to be candid, Joel, and I think we need to be honest that there was a lot, a lot of Liverpool fans who didn't rate him, didn't want him captain. Um, didn't want him on the pitch for Liverpool for a long time. And, I, you know, I've been in Anfield for many years. I've, I've argued with people in Anfield over Jordan Henderson up until, I would say the last one I can remember is West Brom at home, 17-18. Um, so Christmas 2017 was when this narrative was still around for me that he's unproductive, he can only pass sideways, um, he, he's not a good player. He's not beneficial to Liverpool, and you know, I I don't want to, I don't ever want to sit here and say, oh, you know, I was I was I was proved right or I was champion in the right cause because we can all do that. But I I still to this day don't understand how you couldn't see a footballer in Jordan Henderson, and I wonder, you know, I wonder like we with everything we've referenced. Us getting to the point of bringing Jurgen Klopp into Liverpool and, and seeing a vision and knowing that this was going to be a body of work over a number of years, I think that did allow for a lot of people to to see Henderson's value slowly and to see that his value as a footballer, A, is of the very, very highest quality and he was exactly where he should have been playing for Liverpool Football Club over the last 10 years, but B, his responsibility to making Liverpool a successful team again. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I lost count of the amount of times I got into arguments with people about Henderson's worth, like you, um, specifically the whole thing. I remember the, there was a point at which the he doesn't pass forwards thing was it was almost like the Trent can't defend thing that we get told now, which is just there's no evidence to really back it up at all. You actually watch him on a weekly basis, you'll see that it's nonsense. But it's one of those things that gets perpetuated. People, pundits will say it. It will get spoken about online and people just get it in their heads that he can't do these things. And it just wasn't true. And I, I always go back to the, it was a kind of a lost season really, because we all tried to kind of erase most of it from our, our memory in 2014-15, seeing kind of that brilliant 13-14 side just disintegrate into nothingness. And it was such a grim time. But actually, in terms of Henderson's Liverpool journey, he was, I would say, up there with Sterling and Coutinho, who obviously performed well that season. He was Liverpool's driving force, really. He comes out the back of that 14-15 season in a really underperforming Liverpool team with 14 assists and seven goals, playing a combination of central midfield and right wing back, which kind of whatever you look at in, in any team, that is really good numbers. And kind of lots of those assists are, are the kind of ones that you've still seen him done over the years thereafter. It wasn't just a one-off He's always had a, a really wide range of passing in his locker. And I do think he, he's obviously grown as a player under Klopp. Um, but it wasn't as if he, he didn't have that all along. Um, and I think going back to kind of when Klopp first arrived, it's interesting now looking back. I remember that there was almost even a conversation at the time of, of whether Klopp would keep him as captain when he comes in. It's obviously taking over the team. Klopp, does he want to put somebody else in charge and stamp his own authority? And one of the very early things he does they say absolutely not. Henderson is the captain of his team and I'm keeping him there. And the 15-16 season ends up being a bit of a kind of non-entity really for Henderson because he gets that horrible... Is that when he picks up the plantar fasciitis? I don't know if you pronounce it. It's when it's all got, present, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's got that heel injury, which is one of those, which is, is horrible because there's no real cure for it. He, he tries to come back a few times and it's still there and it it's inhibiting him sort of playing his natural game because he does rely on getting about the pitch so much that when you've got something that basically hurts every time you put pressure on your foot, then it's going to be a problem. And it's a funny one I've written this morning about Henderson's relationship with Klopp really being the thing that took him from a very good player into kind of one of the all-time greats and the legend that he is now. But it took a while really for that to happen because of the injury thing. Um, 16, 17, he ends up moving position. Obviously, Klopp starts playing him as a holding midfielder, but then he misses basically the entire run in um, through injury in 16, 17. And so it actually takes a few years really before Henderson becomes a proper kind of regular part of the Klopp setup and the Klopp team. Um, and I do think his kind of development under Klopp. Uh, he would say himself, I think, when he gets to the end of his career, Henderson, um, in terms of his own growth as a player and as a person, I think he owes a, a huge amount of it to Klopp because I think that that positional change at the start of 16-17 that I referenced, I remember when he started in there against Arsenal the first day of that season and he's got Lalana and Wijnaldum playing sort of either side of him as a number eight. It's the first time you really see that sort of three-man Klopp midfield template that has become kind of the recipe for Liverpool's success and I remember seeing it and thinking, I just can't see Henderson playing as a, a holding midfielder based on the kind of box-to-box -box player that we knew. I think it's a credit to Klopp that he recognised that he had those qualities in him, but also Henderson, as James says, his his own willingness and, and open-mindedness to kind of take that challenge on, I think has really kind of made him the player that he is now. I always remember how much his passing was underrated in those in those positions, you know, 
he could he could rake one 40, 50 yards over the top of that. If it was Xabi Alonso, you know, there'd be, there'd be video reels of it for days and there'd be nothing. You know, I'd watch, I'd, I'd watch almost two or three a game of him just finding, putting people in over the top, finding first-time switches of play, things that were, were were absolutely elite in this position. And like I say, James, you know, there was a sense that there was this still strange narrative around about his worth to Liverpool and, and his his value as a footballer, which which were really weird. I was once offered a fight in the centenary stand by a guy who I'm saying was at least at least 70, um, and I declined um, <laughs> for no other reason than I didn't fancy it or my chances or prospects. So, um, no joking aside, it, it was present and, and all the time we're seeing this player emerge, develop under an elite manager who trusts him seemingly with his with his footballing life. Yeah, well, I think Joel touched upon it. It's that case of once a narrative forms, it is so hard to shift it. We, we've seen it with Trent, like you say. We've seen it with all kinds of players. But Henderson was definitely a victim of that. Uh, certainly, I remember vividly that kind of era of the only passes sideways. But I think what you have to remember is if he's doing that, it's because that's what he's been instructed to do. That's, I mean, we see it a lot with Klopp. The players come under criticism for not necessarily getting forward enough or what have you, but it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of of the kind of function of the midfield under Klopp. And so, yeah, certainly we, we occasionally saw those kind of Hollywood passes from Henderson, which showcased how good he was. Um, and yeah, they almost certainly were underrated by fans at the time. But the fact that they weren't happening sort of every 10 minutes or so is just purely because he's so good at listening to what the manager wants of him. He doesn't want him to be pinging them around all the time because that's that's not what the midfield's necessarily in there to do. The creativity comes from other areas in the team. The midfield is there as that solid base to allow others to push on. And yeah, Henderson understood that before many of the fans did, I think, which hurt perceptions of him. And, and just now, James, looking at him now in the modern day, you know, what he means to this football club. This is a this is a team, this is a club, this is a set of supporters, which I, I say a lot has gone on a journey together and they have all contributed their own thing to making this what it is and it's not over but when you look back at the journey in its current state he embodies so 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 much of it he is pivotal to all of the good that Liverpool have become over the last few years and you know he is he's given blood sweat and tears for this club and and has done so in a in a way in which, you know, when we, we talk at the top of the show about what we thought he could be when he was a young boy coming from Sunderland, in a way in which has almost been corroborated in that you knew that he would give absolutely everything to succeed and you knew that no one would work as hard as he would work and you knew that his standards would drive him. And all of those things have come to, to fruition, but they've they've also meant that now you're looking at a, you're looking at a winner. You know, you're looking at someone who's lifted trophies. You're looking at someone who will be embedded into Liverpool's history as a great Liverpool captain. And that is, you know, that's some achievement for him in the modern day. Yeah, I mean, you said it all, really. I mean, that's that's as, as good a tribute as you're going to get to him. He's he's summed up that that journey that the team has been on. Uh, I think what says, what says a lot is this injury recently that's kept him out for, you know, the best part of three months on and off. He tried to run it off. 
Um, and it's just, wow. it's just, it's just so Henderson. Like it, it, it gives absolutely everything and then some. Um, well, tries to just for for the sake of the team. Um, and and yeah, that that kind of mentality is what Klopp has instilled among the whole squad. But yeah, Henderson has had it just naturally since the moment he arrived, and he's been such a big part of helping to to spread that mentality throughout. And yeah, like you say, ultimately that's led to him lifting some of the the biggest trophies in the game, including the one that Liverpool waited 30 years for. So yeah, I mean, legacies don't get much better than that. Now you think about his the the, the person he's become, Joel. You know, he's he's, a, he's an ambassador for so much more now than than captain of Liverpool Football Club and. And and that's again a sign of his his awareness of his responsibilities, isn't it? Not just for us, but for the position he holds within you know the, the city, the country, the the manner in which he he has become somebody who has been very forthright about the fact that footballers need to start using their voice for good um, and to raise awareness of the things of. That they are a passionate about and be believer, right? You know, he's been right up there with those two, hasn't he? He has, yeah. I don't know if either of you seen the the video that Liverpool put out last night that they'd done with his dad, kind of looking back over his ten years. But I thought it was interesting at the end that his dad says that he's he's actually more proud of the person he's become than a footballer he is, which kind of given what he's achieved on the pitch is quite the statement and I think that's that's fair enough, really. You look at what he's done, it goes so far beyond the boundaries of the sport. With the NHS stuff last summer, he's obviously recently handed over his social media and to kind of tackle online abuse. And he's doing all these kind of, I think the thing about Henderson is he doesn't want any of his praise. And there's kind of been talk, but he's, he's made all kinds of donations and done charitable work and actually has asked people not to make it public because he doesn't want the kind of credit for it. He just wants to kind of do his thing. And I think that, that really sums him up um, as a player and a person. And I think kind of, now that we're kind of looking at his legacy, we hope that it will carry on for kind of several years yet, but it's it's 10 years, it's enough time to kind of look at the player he is and the player he's become. And I think what's there's an interesting way of looking at it is for a significant proportion of Liverpool supporters, anyone born sort of, or anyone who started watching football around the kind of mid to late 2000s, by the time Henderson retires or leaves Liverpool, he will probably be the player that most people have watched the most of in their entire lives watching football, which is a, is a crazy thing to think when you think about it. Um, I think for me, I was trying to work this out. I think Gerard probably is the one at the moment, but if Henderson carries on for another two or three years, I would have watched more games of him for Liverpool than anyone else in my lifetime. And that might remain the case, given his kind of longevity. Trent, maybe in a few years' time, might be in that conversation as well. But his longevity, I think, is, is remarkable. And he's... He, I think what's so kind of inspiring about him as a player is that despite all the success he's had and the, tr- the trophies he's lifted and the moments he's been a part of, he's still unbelievably kind of humble and relatable as a player as well. So whereas Gerard was kind of this almost superhuman phenomenon figure that people looked up to, I think Henderson is the more kind of one that we can all, everyone who's been through their own struggles in life can see some of that in Henderson, the things that he's had to come through in his his career. And his just happened to have been played out in front of millions of people. But he's he's not someone who's kind of, he's had to work extremely hard, basically. And I think we'd all say that he's, he's squeezed every last drop of his ability out to kind of do the best for Liverpool. Um, and that's, yeah, that's probably how I'd sum him up. And yeah, as we said, 
hopefully there's there's more of it to come because I think he's he's only um he's turned 31 this summer um hopefully the injuries don't prevent him from having a good few years left all right last quick question when's the next year the hands off shuffle uh next season at the end of next season what are we lifting oh the big question <laughs> I think they'll I'm just going to save the league because, yeah, I think they'll they'll be so up for it. Nah, I've decided we're winning the Champions League. The fact that it's meant to have been in Istanbul for the last two years and it's kept on being postponed, <laughs> it's waiting. It's waiting for Liverpool. It's waiting. It would not surprise me. Um, I'm 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 fully adamant um, for my own reasons that we're doing a league and FA Cup double next season. So whichever one of them come first. Well, the FA I Cups. Think one of the only things he's got left in his collection he's pretty much won everything else so you can have it it won't be nice. it won't be a Steven Gerrard Premier League situation but uh, for now we'll leave it there huge thanks to James and to Joel that's been this week's Liverpool.com podcast take care